and we're live. All right, welcome back to another episode. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to introduce you to our lovely guest, the one, the only, the cat wrangler herself, Miss Fiona Gray. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm Fiona Gray, and oh, sorry. Oh, no, that's it. I was going to ask you to introduce yourself, but you already started, so you're like ahead of the game. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I write about detective dragons, spacefaring spies, and sword-wielding professors who happen to have magic and get up to shenanigans. Okay. Are you sure you're allowed to talk about your spy work? Because, you know, I understand the certain government entities we won't talk about. <clears throat> Cat management department. <clears throat> uh, they don't. They don't like that. Oh, well, um, th this one is on a planet that doesn't exist. Okay, so the feeler and overlords are okay if you just, like, put it on another planet. I got you. I got you. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we actually, how we first met. So uh, this is going to be me speaking out of turn a little bit, and hopefully Fiona forgives me and forgets that we signed this NDA. But I actually met her in the Great Feline War of 2045. We had to come back to stop the rise of transhumanist cat people bent on galactic conquest. But don't worry. If we didn't come to talk to you personally, you probably didn't do anything to mess up too badly. Maybe. But uh, since we've altered the timeline, we're stuck here. So we're going to talk about her books because, you know, someone's got to eat, right? Absolutely. So uh, and I hope, like I said, you know, that the, the NDA, since technically we signed it in 2045, hasn't actually happened yet. So I think I'm okay. I will tell if you want. <laughs> All right. So since this is the Blasters and Blades podcast, you can't escape without the religion question. So Terra Nova, Warehouse 13, or Lost in Space? Uh, Danger, Will Robinson. Lost in Space, please. All right. Which version did you like? I actually grew up watching reruns. So the original like Nick at Night, I used to watch those too. Yeah, it was so cheesy and wonderful and amazing. <laughs> and then they made the the movie, which I actually enjoyed too. It it kind of felt like the beginning, like the first episode in a series rather than a standalone movie, which kind of sucked, but it was still an enjoyable movie. Have you watched the Netflix uh, remake that are on season two? I have not. I actually didn't even realize that there was a Netflix remake again. That's That's awesome. So they did it a little bit different. They took um, the the doctor, the evil doctor, is now actually a psychotic woman. Uh, and instead of him just being a bumbling buffoon, she's actually kind of crazy in a, in a, you know, murder her family kind of way. Uh, it's not really a spoiler since that's episode one. Um, so I actually, I liked it. Normally, when, you know, when they change the the roles or the genders or the races of characters where it feels like it's just to check a box rather than for plot reasons, uh, I tend not to like it. Uh, this is one of the cases where I actually thought it made the story stronger. I'd say the same thing about Battlestar Galactica when they made Starbuck a woman because now suddenly her relationship with the uh, with the Adama family makes a lot more sense. Yeah, um, they were really strong on giving characters depth in that one. I love it when they do that because it makes it just so much more organic. Yeah, and I, like you said, I don't mind when they change up the the characters a little bit. I just I want there to feel like there was a reason for it instead of just box checking because then it comes off as hollow. But this is one where making her a woman and making her like an escaped psych patient made the story like suddenly that she's a chilling character. That's fantastic. That is now so, on my list. I'm going to bitch. Yeah, they've got they've got two seasons that just came out. The second one just came out. It's it's definitely worth watching. 
But uh, you're not done with the religion question yet because we're polytheistic here at the uh, Blasters and Blades. So Shannara Chronicles, The Witcher, or Grimm? Mm, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with The Witcher. Okay, do you play the game, watch the movie, or read the books? I started reading the books, and I'm I'm always fascinated by translations because it always just feels so different. Um, and and then I watched uh, the the Netflix show, um, and I had some issues. Um, the Witcher in my mind does not look the same as the guy who plays Superman, whose name I, the actor whose name I can't remember. Um, but I kind of enjoyed him just growling at people the whole time. <laughs> so I tried to watch The Witcher. I, I've played the game some and I've read some of the books, but the movie, like the Netflix one, it just, it was all over the place chronologically and that made it hard for me to follow. So I just sort of gave up. But but what you could see if you could take the individual chunks, like the cinematography is just amazing. I've watched some of the footwork they did for the sword fighting. Oh, I don't know how accurate that is because I'm not a sword fighter, but it looked good. Yeah, yeah, it was really um and, and I'm not a sword fighter either. I'm, I'm trying to learn, um, but it's a, a little difficult sometimes. And I may have gotten some grief from my husband about a dent that may or may not have been in the ceiling beforehand. Um, but uh, it was <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so are you learning fencing? Are you doing something like through the SEA, the Society of Creative Anachronisms, or how, how are you learning? I was, found a local group, um, and then of course, uh, COVID hit, and I'm not sure that the group actually exists anymore. So there were a lot of YouTube videos and waving a heavy stick around in my basement. Um, as you can imagine, this did not end well for the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it had it coming though, really. It was giving oh, you the evil eye, like I totally get it. Yeah, So yeah. it was in the way. Absolutely. So uh, we like here at the Bachelors and Blades, we both like both the fantastical and the scientific. So what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Probably fantasy. Um, no particular reason, just that it, it sparks the imagination quite a bit. Okay. Do you remember what your first uh, memory of, of engaging with fantasy as a content? Yeah, um, and I, I probably engaged with sci-fi and fantasy about the same time. Um, I grew up in a rural area, and we had the bookmobile. So, oh, I remember those. Yeah, the bookmobile was awesome because they would switch up the content every time they came to visit, but they only had a limited amount of space. Um, and so I encountered um, the Magic Kingdom for Sales sold book, the Terry Brooks book, and Ender's Game oh. time. And so one, you learn that anything is possible in this fantastical world. And then two, you, I learned that kids can do it too. So um, I was at a pretty young, malleable age and I internalized a lot of those lessons, I think. Okay, do you remember the scholastic book uh, fairs that they used to do? Oh, I love those. I wonder if they still do those. Yeah, I, I used to love those. I was like, I'd save my allowance for days and yep. weeks when we knew they were coming. Uh, so yeah, I totally get that. And I don't know why that was such a big deal when I could have just walked down the street to the, well, not walk by myself, but I could have got my mom to just take me to the Barnes and Noble or whatever, but there was something magical about the, the traveling book fair that came just to see you. And sometimes they would give you those little precursor newsletters where you could figure out which books you wanted ahead of time. So it was like a yes. teaser. And I think it was just because everything that they brought was catered towards the, the youth audience as opposed to a bookstore where you might get a, a half an aisle, if you're lucky, of yeah. content for you. I think that was a large part of it. So what is it you love about fantasy as a genre? 
Oh, just that everything is open. Because if you remember those choose your own adventure books, um, I always wanted to have those. Yeah. But is it the adventure that you wanted to have? So um, they, for me, they never quite ended how I thought they should end. So I wanted to make the stories better. Um, and, and that really prompted a lot of the writing as, as well, because then I can control my own fate. Um, I really just admitted to being a control freak, I think, there. It's okay. We all are at some level. So that's how you, you transition into writing. So with your Choose Your Own Adventure, were you reading like the um, Lone Wolf ones? Were you reading just the generic see, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books that were all over the place? Were there any specific um, uh, ones you were reading? Yeah, just the generic ones. Um, I remember them more as a concept than any one book individually. Um, it, yeah. The uh, the Lone Wolf ones mixed a little bit of gaming in with it in that you had to cre- keep a character sheet and track what weapons you have and what your hit points were. And then you would have to you know fight. And if you win the fight, go to page whatever. And if you didn't win, go to page. And of course, I never cheated. Not at all. Oh, no, no one ever did on, on those to see what the best move would be, obviously. Yeah, they actually have, there's an author in Australia that started writing uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books again for, for children. Um, I'll have to link with you up. Robert Tilsley, R. Max Tilsley is doing that. Like, he's got one of their kids fighting zombies. And uh, it's it's so cool. Like, I just love the concept of the genre where you get to tell your story. Yes, yeah. I, I've seen it for adults uh, in the romance genre. They had a, you know, instead of the tragic love triangle, it's like you pick the love triangle. Do you go with person A or person B? Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that that was a trend. I'm, I might have I don't to- know. I've seen one or two. I haven't seen enough. I imagine the logistics of trying to write one of those is a large part of the problem. Probably. I used to I mean, try and write my own mysteries. <laughs> I would I would hide things around the house and try and forget where they were and leave clues. And that didn't work either. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty complicated to drop all of those different possibilities in there. Yeah, I can imagine you look like a serial killer with all those strings hiding everywhere when you're trying to track your story. That could get... <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, my uh, yeah, it has been called a beautiful mind moment. That's always a plus. So the the other thing that that would be difficult, I imagine, is since everybody's in KU these days, or so many people are, I I don't imagine they're going to like that jump to the last page thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would probably trigger all sorts of fraud uh, alerts on their end. So probably. But but if they figure out a program to make it idiot proof, I'd totally write those stories because they're fun. So, but uh, many authors, since we've, we've talked about how you transition into writing, let their real life experience influence the stories they tell. So were there any formidable moments that you remember that shape you as a storyteller? Yeah. And it's weird because the answer is yes, but nothing in particular that I can remember actually happening. But I think everybody at some point wakes up and, and realizes that monsters can be real. Um, whether they're human or real monsters, uh, you know, that, that exist in the urban fantasy and, and sci-fi realms of, of aliens. And I think that changes your perspective. Um, it makes things darker, scarier, and adds more realism. So in some ways, you know, writing is a way to acknowledge that and make those areas a little safer to play out because you want to balance the, uh, the scary things that are out there in the world with being entertaining. So when you write your stories, do you like to to go more for the grim dark or do you try to go with uh, more of a hopeful vibe? 
I usually aim for the hopeful vibe, but there are times when I'm I'm not afraid to wallow in the in the darkness. Um, I don't necessarily always publish those things, but uh, I joined a writing group um, a couple of years ago when I started doing this seriously, and um, it, it's a group where we trade writing prompts with each other every week. And the first one was that I was assigned was about uh, a woman whose husband dies, but you never mention. Uh, the husband at all. Um, and so I had to look at my husband and, and who had just found out that I was doing this and, uh, and explain that I needed to kill him off. Um, and he is still alive. I would just like to clarify that. So if you're listening, Mr. FBI man, today is not the day. <laughs> it is not. It is not. Um, wow. So that was, so you had to have a dead husband that you couldn't talk about, but somehow make the audience know there was a dead husband. Right. And it was about a, a woman who is grieving and she keeps encountering all of the things that remind her that she is now alone and everything in her life has changed. So it was um, it was a challenge I kind of fell in love with, um, although I think I confused my husband because I put on sad music and next thing you know, he's having me talk about him dying and I'm crying. And um, it, so it was an emotional experience. See, I would have gone like Edgar Allan Poe and the Telltale Heart kind of crazy if you wanted to talk about him without talking about him. But maybe I just need more therapy. So uh, <laughs> transitioning away from the writing side, let's talk about things from a fan angle. So have you got any cool fan art or had anybody cosplay your characters yet? Uh, so a friend sent me a photo of her dog posing with uh, my first paperback sale ever, actually. And it really was her dog. She was not cosplaying her dog. And that was that was just really cool because uh, it had never happened before. So. I mean, if she was cosplaying her dog reading your book, that would have counted, too. I'd have totally gone for that. That would have been a much different photo. It <laughs> All right. Well, this is a family-friendly show, so we'll just move right along. So uh, has anybody asked for your autograph out in public? Uh, well, uh, that friend asked for my autograph but then forgot the book. So uh, <clears throat> th thanks, Mom. I appreciate you asking for my autograph when I saw you last. <laughs> that, that totally counts because your moms are awesome. Uh, and so finally, um, what's the weirdest or funniest story about an interaction with fans that you've had since you started writing? Oh, well, uh, Russian spammers love my website and uh, apparently some uh, basically sex workers uh, follow me on, on Goodreads. I know we just said this was a family friendly show, but I don't know what I'm writing that attracts them, but uh, it's... I don't think they're looking in the right place. I actually, and I don't think I've ever told this story. So I ended up closing Twitter, my Twitter account. Like we have one for the podcast, but my personal one, the temptation was just too, too much to dive into the, the realm of political shenanigans that happen on Twitter. So I had to walk away because I try to stay political. Cause quite frankly, I don't care what you believe politically. You know, if you enjoy my books, I want to enjoy that with you. Right. Uh, but I actually had, uh, a lady of the evening in, in Australia, where I guess it's legal, was following me. And I actually ended up interacting with her some. And she's like, no, I just have to do something between customers and I read your books. So I thought that was kind of cool, actually. <laughs> of course, That's explaining to my wife that I'm not talking to a lady of the evening for those reasons. Like, I <laughs> promise she's just reading my books. That was a funny conversation. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so, yeah, you know, I guess, you know, they, they read too. So maybe it's legit. I mean, 
it's a thing to do and it's educational and hey you're reaching a diverse audience so that's always a good thing too um so finally uh let's introduce the episode so today we'll be doing another brief episode where we dive into the world of anthologies and short stories and short content in general we interview authors about their contribution to this undervalued uh body of work like i said i've, I've said it before i absolutely love short content that was my first exposure into reading you know stuff not written for kids um so i'd like to make that viable again and give that to the world so we're going to be doing more of these kinds of interviews but this time we have on deck the summer solstice shenanigans anthology and i will not try to say that three times fast because it will be embarrassing but um we all have you're to welcome to those shenanigans well, our old podcast used to be the sci-fi shenanigans, so I knew how to spell it. But saying it with summer solstice together, all like that was just too much. It's a bridge too far. Yes. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about the summer solstice shenanigans. So <clears throat> my attempt to prove yet again why why I will not be the movie trailer voice guy. Um, <clears throat> a full moon solstice. Let the magic flow. Feel the power. Fae come out to play. Vampires rove from dusk till dawn, and werewolves howl. Do they howl? On this one fateful night, out come the witches, demons, vampires, shifters, and fantastic creatures in a celebration of magic and mayhem. Some spells can only be cast or curses broken on this rare enchanted night. If you dare, follow the fae down the magical path, but beware of getting forever lost. There's trouble around every corner amidst the glow of the supernatural. This summer solstice anthology includes 25 brand new, never before published urban fantasy short stories from international best-selling authors, as well as exciting new talent. Okay, that's better than I've done in the past, but still not quite up to, you know, a slot as the movie trailer voice guy. But maybe next time. Yeah, practice makes perfect. That's right. Uh, at least you don't have weird Latin. We've interviewed one anthology where they had Latin as part of the, the blurb. I'm like, yeah, I'm not even trying. Oh, yeah. No. No. yeah no. <laughs> so so what was your short story in the Summer Solstice Shenanigans Anthology titled? Uh, the Fire Crown. Oh, that's an interesting title. Well, um, so well, go ahead. Well, it's about a, a phoenix who is losing control of her powers. And she keeps bursting into flames. And her birthday is on the solstice. And uh, she only has a few days left to figure out what's happening uh, before the solstice comes. And she knows that something will happen um, and has to figure out how to regain control and not burn down the town around her as well. It was interesting okay. because I, I got to write about uh, sleep flying, which was not a phrase that I ever thought expected to encounter. Uh, I think we all have wished we could fly before, so I, I definitely get the allure. Uh, so what was the inspiration for the story? Well, often you see magical creatures who are presented as uh, super powerful, all powerful, all knowing. And I wanted to explore the side that didn't have that, that they face uncertainty too, and that they're figuring it out just like the rest of us poor humans without any magical powers. So, um, you know, what happens to the town around them? Um, how do they, how do they deal with it? Um, so that was the inspiration. Okay. So does this story fit into a larger universe or does it stand alone? 
Yeah, it's the Professor Porter Paranormals um, in, in book one and a short story in that world are out. And it's about Dr. June Porter, who is a brand new professor at Paladin University. Um, and she's trying to get away from magic because it killed her parents. And of course, the university is not the magic free haven she expects. Um, and hijinks and shenanigans and a few sword fights uh, ensue after that. I'm working on book two and another short story now. So given that the short story is urban fantasy, is the larger world that it fits into, I'm assuming, as well? Yes, although it might be, it's set in New Hampshire, um, and so it could properly be called rural fantasy. Um, that might be creating a, a subgenre. I'm not sure that actually exists, but uh, the college world is certainly a, a little more urban. Okay. Um, so since you're writing urban fantasy, what is it about the subgenre that appeals to you? Uh, I think it's that everything is really relatable to the world that's around us. You know, you can be driving down the road and everything is normal. And then, oh, was that a griffin that just flew across the road? Um, it makes it more believable. So for me, that that's pretty enjoyable when all of a sudden the world could just twist on you and change radically. Okay. Um, so, you know, we promise you a short interview, dear listener. So we're going to ask you a couple fun questions for the road and, and answer as the as the muse compels you. So if um, you were going to live in any urban fantasy universe, which one would you want to live in and why? So Dan Willis has a series out called Arcane Casebook. Um, and I think he terms the genre diesel punk, but, but I think of it as urban fantasy. And he mixes alchemy and runic magic and uh, magic in the more traditional sense, all in a way that's just really fun. And it's set in uh, an alternate universe, 1930s America, um, with the main character being a detective who is also a rune right. So it's just really fun um, and really creative. Okay. Uh, is alchemy something that you, you play with in your world? A little bit, yes. Um, there will probably be more in the future. Um, it's a little bit unresolved in book one, so it will be making a comeback. Okay, and what about runes? Because I've always found that fascinating. Is that something you mess with as well? Runes are coming in book two. Uh, I actually just wrote that scene recently. Outstanding. So then we will have to have you back when book two comes out to talk about the, the main series because we tend to do our interviews about book one. So they're evergreen. But uh, when you get ready to drop book two, we'll, we'll have you back on because we're trying to trying to mix it up a little bit. All right. So following that, you've mentioned you'd want to live in Dan Willis's universe because it sounds fun. Uh, which universe would you not want to live in? Uh, so Patricia Briggs, Mercy Thompson series. Those poor characters go through absolute hell. Um, it's it's really well written, um, but I don't want to be there with them. I'm good to keep that one at a distance. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go anywhere where instantly I'm going to die. I mean, you know, if we can negotiate a hall pass where it's like definitely your your main character, you don't die and you have cool powers, maybe you risk it. But I mean, you know, in universes like I wouldn't want to be in a Game of Thrones book. Like, oh, chances of yeah. me dying are pretty high. Yeah, and if you're not dying, you're probably going to get beaten up, tortured, poisoned, uh, 
I don't think you want to survive after the poisoning either, but uh, I suppose that's a choice. Yeah, let's stay away from those. Yeah, so that, that's why I don't do Grimdark. Okay, one last one for the road. So what is your favorite creature to see in urban fantasy? Ooh, uh, dragons. And, and they don't show up quite as often in uh, urban fantasy, I think, more traditional fantasy, but that's why I like them. Um, I love it when a dragon just pokes his head around a skyscraper. So what is it that you like about a dragon? Well, the fire breathing part is pretty cool. <laughs> but if yeah. I if I could uh, hop on one's back and get to work uh, commuting by dragon, that would just be amazing. Even when it's raining. True, true. All right. Well, we promised you a short episode, so we will have you back. But uh, before we let you go, uh, can you tell listeners how they can find you? Sure. Uh, FionaGrayWrites.com is my website. Um, I have a newsletter on there. I also have a Facebook reader page, facebook.com slash FionaGrayWrites. That's gray with an E. Um, and I believe you are going to put all of that in the show notes as well so that everybody can yes, connect. Ma'am. All right. Well, thanks. All right. And you can find us at our website, uh, anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades. You can follow us on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. I promise we really do answer emails there. You can support the show with a monthly contribution over at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades, or a one-time donation of buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comments that it's for the podcast. And we promise to keep the co-hosts Nick Garber and Doc Seska duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. But uh, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.